It's the biggest Socceroos game in two long years. And we rub our hands with glee and wait patiently for the very specific 9.14 kickoff time Eastern Daylight as the Socceroos take on Japan in Japan. A win for the Socceroos could not just send them comfortably clear in the automatic qualification places, but could see Moriyasu, the Japanese coach, out of a job. It's a twofer, Nick Dibano. G'day, Josh. Uh, it's, it's a big day. I mean, it's, we haven't played Japan in so long, and um, it feels like it's, it's probably the biggest game against Japan in quite some time. I mean, there's so much riding on this game, not just for the soccer, as you mentioned, for Japan. I mean, uh, Moriyasu has now been there, I think, for four years. He was there in 2018 at the World Cup. Um, they've had a disastrous start to, to qualifying. I'm very curious to hear what Dan Oliver is going to have to say about it when he joins us in a few minutes' time. But, geez, I, I tell you what, I Australia somehow come away with a win tonight. I probably shouldn't say somehow because I'm almost tuned to think that somehow Australia is going to escape with three points in Japan. But they do that, and I get a feeling that it could be it for Moriyasu. It seems like the writing's on the wall, and uh, it's a shame because Arnie and him are mates. Like driving the dagger in the in the back of of your mate, um, but obviously you know it's that, that that's how football works sometimes. Mm. Well, yeah, they they played together back in the day at uh, yeah. Fredche Hiroshima, so that's that's a real throwback. But mm. uh, Graham Arnold and a few other Aussies actually did play in the J League in the nineties when it was really taking off, and they had you know Arsene Wenger coaching and. You know, I think Zico was playing there. Mm. <laughs> oh, that might have been the 80s. But anyway, uh, back in the day, uh, Moriyasu and Arnie, former teammates, coming up against each other with a lot on the line. And honestly, this is a much more important game for Japan than it is for Australia. I mean, yeah. even anything less than a win could cost Moriyasu his job, or so we're reading in the Japanese press. Yeah, well, at the moment, it's uh, six points. At, uh, the gap between at least Saudi Arabia and Japan. Um, our gap obviously is the same, but with goal mm-hmm. difference permitting. Um, and I, I'll tell you what, as you did say, if it is a draw, you know, and Saudi Arabia do win, it doesn't really change much. And especially if there are results that sort of go in terms of, I think China and Vietnam, or am I getting it confused? They're playing each other today as well. Uh, so I believe Saudi Arabia is playing China and Oman is but, playing Vietnam. Okay, so, you know, it could get worse for them because they could fall out of that third place, which at least gives them a chance to go into the playoffs and play those two extra qualifiers against, you know, third place in the other group and then have to go and play the CONCACAF side and it gets all convoluted and everything else. But they've got to win. Japan are a proud team. That's one thing we've got to remember, Josh. This is a very, very proud footballing nation. Um, they expect to qualify automatically for every single World Cup that, you know, that they have a chance to do. And since Moriyasu's come in, you know, ever since they made the round of 16 um, at the World Cup, it seems like there's been a bit of falling behind the expectations. You know, they lost the Asian Cup final to Qatar, and now they're starting to see themselves regress in terms of qualification for this. Um, and the very dangerous position they find themselves in right now, even you know, even if they win, they're still going to have they're still playing catch up. Like that, that six points, it's they've got to really try and get it going in these next seven games. It's going to be an odd atmosphere in Japan tonight. Uh, the fans will not be allowed to chant in the stands because it is a COVID spreading risk. So it'll be percussive elements only. Uh, it won't be the yeah. continuous uh, choreographed sort of endurance style support mm. that we're used to hearing. But, you know, maybe given the unpopularity of the head coach, they might not have had it anyway. They might have been hearing boos if they're allowed to boo. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's almost the perfect storm for Moriasu. You get fans, but they just can't stay beef. Like, I think that they've got some sort of, like, AI technology that if a fan, I think, you know, chants or something like that, I think that they get alerted or something. It's real <laughs> sort of dystopian uh, future kind of stuff there. But I reckon it's going to be really cool to see how it all works in terms of seeing... I think it's about 10,000 people inside a 60,000-seat stadium just completely silent for 90 minutes. Um, it'll be like being at the theatre, you know, and it, it genuinely will because, you know... All Polite applause. <laughs> Go to theatre. Yeah. Yeah, look, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this game. I really haven't felt uh, the stakes on the line in a soccer match since the Asian Cup. Um, we've played a succession of minnows, beaten all of mm. them, beaten up on so many small teams with towering Harry Sutar headers and uh, a couple of scrappy ones along the way. But now's the first serious test of Graham Arnold's leadership since uh, that knockout game against the UAE. Yeah, no, I agree 100%, Josh. I mean, 11 games unbeaten is all well and good, but... 11 games at face value is only a number without context. You know, if you don't look at the actual context who they're beating, no disrespect to, you know, Umanu actually put up a pretty decent fight and, you know, some of the sides they've played, but they're not at the same level as Japan, right? Japan are arguably the best team in Asia when they've got it going. Um, so this is the first real test for them. And Saudi Arabia after this in the next qualification as well. So these next two games are really going to say a lot about how good this team is and how good of a coach Graham Arnold is. Because this is also the first time, Josh, that they're really going to have to play on the back foot because mm-hmm. they're used to having so much of the ball. I'd be curious to see how things are tinkered in terms of coming up against a team who actually want to have possession, actually want to be on the front foot. It might make Australia look slicker, actually. I'm looking it forward probably to will. seeing yeah. it. Um, because we've seen a lot of dead possession in this side, a lot of recycling and players not presenting options and it being a bit disjointed until moments of transition where Australia wins the ball high and then it's almost always a goal. So mm. I wonder how high the soccer is going to press. The, the uh, approach will be fascinating and highly instructive, I think. Uh, coming up tonight on FNR, we do have a watch-along which is always good fun. Live watch along, your second screen experience during the game, your alternative commentary, discussion, live analysis, uh, and general silliness and nonsense that usually goes on during those long live streams. Uh, So make sure you join us for that from 9 o'clock. We've got uh, some familiar special guests with Nick Stoll, Ante Jukic, and Joey Lynch joining us for the duration of the match, as well as the usual FNR crew. So that's going to be lots and lots of fun. And uh, we just hope that Ante can keep the Croatian swearing to a minimum. That's just fingers, fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. But uh, I don't think. Uh, look, being one hundred and ten percent honesty, Josh, when the clock strikes, maybe ten o'clock. You know, when we reach that certain time of night, maybe it might change. Maybe we will get a few Croatian swear, uh, swear words in there. But let's hope it keeps. When the lights go down, when the moon comes out, and when the Batman signal hits the sky with the bucket hat, that's when you know uh, all bets are off. So join us for the watch along tonight from 9pm. We're going to take a very, very quick break. And on the other side, we've got Dan Olowitz joining us from the Japan Times. So stick around for that. 
welcome back. Twilight Football here on FNR Football Nation Radio. We are delighted to be joined now by Dan Olowitz from the Japan Times, frequent guest of ours whenever Japanese football becomes relevant on our radar and how relevant it is tonight with the Socceroos facing off against a manager and a team under considerable scrutiny and pressure for their recent performances. Dan, welcome back to FNR. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for making time on game day, especially. Uh, just what is at stake uh, for the Samurai Blue tonight? Uh, there's a lot at stake. Uh, as you sort of mentioned or implied, I think uh, head coach Hajime Moriyasu uh, is playing with his job on the line. Uh, anything less than a win and he is is in all likelihood out. Uh, anything less than a win and this Japan squad is not necessarily completely out of the running for an automatic uh, spot in the next year's World Cup, but pretty close to it, which would mean having to fight through the, the playoff and then the intercontinental playoff. And, and that's just not the situation you want to be in. Uh, so we, we really are at risk of uh, being in a, in a state where we could lose you know we our world cup streak uh which started in 1998 could could end or, or be put under threat tonight dan what, what are you saying that's sort of so wrong with japan right now in terms of their performances you, you know the loss against saudi arabia and the struggles even in the last window what, what are you saying in terms of what's going wrong i think that it's important to note that the players are there if you look at this japan squad and if you look at the the pool that's available uh you could argue that this is the 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 strongest pool of players japan has ever had uh the problem is in the coaching uh in the tactics in the selection uh moriyasu is just playing things far more conservatively and, and sticking giving minutes to players uh who are not fit uh who are not really getting it done in europe uh who you know, you look at Gaku Shibasaki starting, you look at Yuto Nagatomo uh, still at left back. Uh, granted, now he has a club, but, uh, you know, he, he isn't the Yuto Nagatomo that we remember from the Asian Cup 10 years ago, uh, from the 2010 World Cup. Um, you know, you, you look at Kyogo Furuhashi starting on the bench, only getting 30 minutes when he's just doing so many good things at Celtic. Yeah, that that's not a player that you want to be a super sub. That's a player that you want from the kickoff. Uh, so, I, I just that there's a lot of doubt that Moriyasu really understands what to do with these tools that he has been given. And in the absence of that understanding, he's just sort of reverting back to the players he knows uh, and, and just sort of hitting his head against the wall again and again, hoping that the wall will break. I mean, that's astonishing to anyone who's watched a Celtic game this season uh, since Furuhashi's arrival. I mean, a lot of Aussie fans have been watching Celtic for obvious reasons, and Kyogo's been maybe their best player. Uh, So to see him on the bench is absolutely astonishing. It is. And I, if you don't see him starting uh, this evening... Uh, I really don't know what to say. I think that everyone would like to see him start. Um, I mean, he, Grant, he, he might start on the bench. I mean, I think that you'll have a couple changes tonight. Uh, you'll see Junior Ito 
who was suspended uh, for the Saudi Arabia game. So he, he, there's a good chance that he could get in the starting lineup. But you look at players like Daichi Kamara, who didn't really get it done at the Olympics. Uh, you look at, you know, you'd like to see Al Tanaka get a start. You know, you, you, you'd like to see some of these younger players uh, who show a lot of promise, you know, getting in there earlier instead of being relegated to bench roles. But instead you're seeing sort of the, the known quantities, you know, your back line, Yoshida, Nagatomo, Sakai, uh, Tomiyasu is sort of the, the outliers as a younger player. Uh, but, but these are all players who have been in two or three World Cups. Uh, so we're at this weird state where Moriyasu was supposed to oversee a transition between the 2018 World Cup squad, uh, which punched way above its belt, you know, or I should say way, way above its weight class, mm-hmm. and you know, transition that into, into the next generation. And we're still not there yet. And it, it's, it's frustrating. It's vexing. Uh, it, it's lots of adjectives that are probably not appropriate for the radio. Uh, but it, it's, you know, we lose tonight and it's not good. It, it's really not looking good at all. And um, I, I was just reading some comments from Moriasu after the Saudi Arabia game. He spoke about being tired and losing their rhythm. Um, is that something you're noticing as well? Frustration in terms of not being able to create, um, you know, just in terms of actually being able to create chances and breakthrough sides. Is that something that you're noticing too? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the fitness issue, I think that one of the biggest issues that we've had uh, throughout this uh, qualifier cycle, uh, and, and I guess the well, I guess the qualifier cycle has basically just been last year and this year, uh, is the effect of the, the the pandemic. You have the travel issues, you have the bubble, you have the quarantine, and uh, that is something you can say that the players are used to it, which to an extent they are, uh, but it still gets to you. Uh, you've got pl- key players who have been going nonstop for their clubs, uh, for the national team, for the Olympic team, all summer. Wataru Endo, you know, is another one. Uh, you know, Yoshida Sakai. I mean, these are the players who have been just at it. And when when the team is sort of in this frustrating state, you do need a leader from among the squad. Hopefully, more more than one. But you need someone to step up and bring everyone together and just get everyone on the same page. And we've had some reports in, in our local media that uh, Nagatomo has stepped up in, in practice, Yoshida has stepped up in practice, and they're, they're sort of working on just trying to rally the troops. So, you know, what we, the, what we see tonight at kickoff, at that, that 7-14 kickoff that everyone's getting very excited about, and if you're going to ask me why 7-14, the answer is, I don't know, but here it's advertised as 7-10, so I guess that's when the teams walk out and... Yeah, th- th- there's no significance to that number, really. So, you know, let, let's get that let's get that, that out of the way. Um, they just need a win. And I, I think that, as some of my colleagues have said, Moriyasu often seems like he's playing not to lose. Hmm. And with players at this level, I think that you can afford to be braver, to be more ambitious. Uh, I've talked to lots of people, journalists, uh, J-League coaches, you know, everyone sort of wonders, well, why are they struggling? Because they shouldn't be. On paper, this is an amazing team. 
but no, just nothing was clicking. And you could argue that maybe it would take a big win against our biggest rival at the moment to, to do that, to get everything to click. Or if we don't get that, then maybe this is the moment everything falls apart and we go sort of into the rebuilding mode that we saw after 1994. And that's horrifying. As a journalist, as a fan, uh, there, there are no, there, there's no small number of people who would argue at this point that maybe the best thing to happen would be to burn it down and start from scratch going all the way up to the top leadership of the Japan Football Association. But do we really want to get to that point? Probably not. I mean, it's scary in a World Cup qualification cycle to be having these kind of existential questions facing you. And firstly, uh, thank you for dispelling uh, myths around the number 15 that we may or may not have peddled this time on the show last week. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, when there's so much on the line uh, in terms of World Cup qualification, how would it impact Japanese football to miss out on a World Cup cycle? Because in Australia, we worry that all of the progress since 2006 and our first qualification in 30 years or so would be completely undone by missing one of these things. Is that kind of uh, interest in the game waning a serious possibility in Japan? Because it's not a one, you know, sport country like, um, you know, some others uh, in the region. Um, you know, baseball is very popular as well. Uh, or is it simply a loss of... Uh, opportunity for the fans to watch and celebrate a tournament and commercial revenue and so forth. I mean, it, it, it isn't a one sport country. It's a two sport country. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. You, you, you know, uh, we've, there's baseball and there's, there's, there's football and there's, there's soccer, Australia. You've got soccer, rugby league, rugby union, AFL, cricket, women's soccer which is sort of almost in a category of its own and and i mean that in a good way Mm. um i think that if you want some perspective on on what it would mean for japan i think you only have to look back to three years ago when the united states missed out on the world cup where you had really again a really talented pool of players lots of talent in that u.s squad but just a couple bad results and sort of unambitious coaching and some really you know bad luck away uh, denied them a huge opportunity. It did set the program back. And they, as a pool, as a player pool, they're getting stronger and stronger, but then you see them missing out on the Olympics year after year. Mm. And uh, soccer is alive and well in the U.S. It's doing great. Yeah, it's a legitimate, it's legitimately established itself as sort of a fifth the, the, as part of the big five where, you know, joining the big four of baseball, hockey, basketball, and, and American football. Uh, but right now in Japan, the J league was riding high before the pandemic record attendance in 2019, uh, just great crowds, great energy. And we lost all of that, all of it. Um, even though we've had fans in the stadiums since July 2020, we're still limited. To, we've been limited for most of the year to about 5,000 people per game. And when you're talking about stadiums that fit 60,000, 70,000, know, that's not much. So clubs are hurting. 
sponsors are hurting. Yeah, the fans are are there. There is a fear that if sports don't come back, if the atmosphere doesn't come back, then maybe fans won't have as much of a reason to come back. So you have that issue, which is totally different from sort of the national team. And then bringing it back to the national team, you have this issue of, well, all of the top players are in Europe. So it's harder and harder to see them in person and younger fans, you you can't go to a J league game and see players who represent the national team or represent Japan as you could 10 years ago. So when that hook is gone, what next? Well, if you have a strong national team, then that should be able to draw fans in and of by itself. But if then, if you don't have a strong national team, what next? So uh, it's, it's a very roundabout way of answering your question, but it is this sort of cascade of, of issues uh, and they're all that they all risk collapsing at once. Like the, if you look at football culture in Japan, I mean, we have such a rich history. Uh, next year is going to be the, the 30th anniversary of, of the establishment of the J League. Um, we've come a long way. And you'd like to think that all of that wouldn't be undone by missing one World Cup. But at the same time, it is a big deal here. And if we lose that, then it's just really difficult to think about what the knock-on impact could be, um, even just in terms of fans being able to watch it, because you have to think about, well, will broadcasters go all in uh, on what are some very expensive broadcasting rights if Japan aren't involved? Mm. And that's an open question, especially in these times. So, you know, it is the fate of everything at stake tonight you know maybe not but it's not really difficult to write a scenario in which maybe it is Hmm. Dan just the one about the fans you did mention capped crowds and we've heard about you know the the silence of you know not being able to cheer and everything else have you got a bit of an update on sort of how the progress is going in terms of getting more people back, getting the atmosphere back. Is there any plans or roadmap with vaccination rates going up, et cetera? Yes. So at the end of the month, uh, Japan ended its state of emergency. Uh, We are now in a one-month transitional phase where uh, the cap is essentially 10,000. And on a trial basis uh, at some games, including tonight, Uh, they're going to start allowing in people over that cap if they are vaccinated or have a negative PCR test, I think, within 72 hours of the game. So uh, the JFA has sold 5,000 tickets uh, for the the, the VT seats, what they're calling the vaccine test seats. So uh, tonight's max crowd will be 15,000. For the Levain Cup final, the, the League Cup, um, at the same stadium on October 30th, it's going to be 10,000 regular tickets, 10,000 VT seats. Uh, the goal, and, and this is happening in, in soccer, this is happening in baseball as well, that, you know, we're, we're, it is phased and they are just trying to establish what works and what doesn't. Uh, but the goal is, at least on the J-League side, to get stadiums up to maybe... 60, 70% capacity by the end of the season. And if they can get to that number, they'll be happy. And then we can look to 100% 
for the 2022 season. Uh, as far as cheering, atmospheres, flag waving, all that, uh, the league is officially, and I've asked this a few times before, they're not discussing anything yet. So uh, the official rule as of right now and probably through the end of the season is no cheering, no chants, no songs, no flag waving. Uh, they're allowed to clap. They're allowed to have drummers, uh, no trumpets, no vuvuzelas, nothing. And that's about it. So you're going to hear a lot of clapping tonight. Um, and, and that's really all you'll hear. Uh, and that's just what it's been. And that, that's been our new normal for about 15 months now. So it's just uh, the opening to We Will Rock You over and over again, I'm assuming. Just uh, stomp, stomp, clap the whole game. Basically, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll come up with two, maybe three rhythms. You know, it's the same as the same as any Japan game where it's only the two or three chants. You know, they only have so many um, things. But, you know, with 15,000, they'll do their best. And uh, it's Saitama. It's a big game. You know, the fans don't want to see the team lose. Uh, and we'll, we'll see how it looks. I mean, after I hang up with you guys, I'm going to head down to the stadium and uh, I have no idea what it's going to be like, but hopefully hopefully, it's something to positive uh, one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, anything is better for us than watching the Socceroos play another game behind closed doors at 2 or 3 in the morning in the Middle East. Uh, so I think fans will be delighted to hear any noise in the stadium and at a uh, pretty nice time slot as well, finally. Uh, but Dan, before we let you go, this match tonight, who could be the match winner for Japan? Because in a misfiring team, an individual talent, a moment of magic uh, might be the difference. And I would have said the Wonder Boy Kubo, but he's injured for this game. So, you know, no slaloming solo run and, and goal to match. I don't even know if he would have started if he had been available. Um, but who is the match winner tonight for Japan to save Moriyasu's job? Or is it all going to come crumbling down? I, I think that the the easy pick for a match winner is Fudohashi. I think that mm. if Moriyasu knows what's good for him... Uh, Kyogo will be in the starting lineup. And I know maybe Celtic fans don't want to hear this because they want him to they, they want him, I mean they want him to come back healthy. We want him to go back healthy. Uh but I think that he needs to have the game of his life tonight. Um I, I think that if he does that, if he if he can score in such a crucial game, uh I think that goes a long way towards cementing his place uh, in the national team, which is something that he's talked about. Uh he's uh, very clear that now he thinks that playing in a World Cup is something that he can achieve. Uh, but if he wants to do that first, he's got to score in games like tonight. I want to see Rogic versus Kyogo. So please, Rogic, put him in the game. Dan Olowitz, <laughs> always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Good luck. Dan Olowitz from the Japan Times. Big thank you to him. We're going to take a very short break. On the other side, former Socceroos goalkeeper Clint Bolton. back here on Twilight Football and FNR Football Nation Radio. Josh Parrish and Nick Dubano, your hosts. And with us now, former Socceroos goalkeeper Clint Butzer-Bolton. Clint, welcome to the show. I love how you threw the nickname in there. Thanks, thanks guys. It's almost your name at this point. Do people still call you Butzer when they meet you for the first time? It's, it seems like everybody knows it. 
Yeah, pretty much. And it's, I find it quite amusing considering probably bugger all people actually know the origins of it and uh, would probably be a little bit surprised at what it actually means. <laughs> Are they appropriate for the airwaves? Or should probably we not. leave a mystery? <laughs> okay, we'll, leave, we'll, we'll preserve, the, preserve the mystery. Soccer is playing against Japan tonight. Biggest game for the national team in a couple of years. Uh, Clint, first of all, are you excited? Because I don't think, as we were talking about off-air, we've seen quite enough advertising for this particular fixture. I'm excited, absolutely. It's it's a great fixture to have at this point in time, considering where both teams are at. You know, Socceroos on a great run. 12 wins in a row, unprecedented. Um, fantastic form, look good, look solid defensively, which is important. Plenty of threats and attack. And on the flip side... Um, just as much interest in Japan and where they're at because it's been a, a good few years where they've been on this, I don't know, in this real hump and and you just you wonder if they can find a way out of it in the short term to actually get to the next World Cup. Um, there's there's a lot of big question marks around Japan. So it's, it's a, in a lot of ways it's just a shame because normally when you get to watch Japan, you watch a really fluent technical quality team that usually gets results in Asia. So strange times for Japan, so it'd be a really interesting one. In terms of tonight's game, Clint, I mean, Australia's won obviously that on that winning streak, but they, with no disrespect to the teams that played, they haven't played anyone the same ilk of Japan. I guess, um, is how much of a litmus test do you see this for Graham Arnold on the side tonight? It's a good test because of not only the opposition, but they're actually in a more traditional environment. In, in qualifying tonight with being in Japan's backyard. So so that's a bit different to what they, they've done in the, in, in the recent matches being in uh, Qatar and such. So it's a more traditional home match for Japan. There, while there won't be a full packed stadium, and we're, we're all the poorer for it uh, because Saitama is, is a quality stadium with a packed 60-odd thousand, I think, around that mark. It's just an awesome atmosphere. But, you know, a quarter of that anyway will be pretty good. So it's a good test in that regard. And, and Japan, backs to the wall stuff, still great quality technical players, a lot of them playing in Europe. Big question marks as to why they can't get their, their form together and get some decent results. Big pressure on the coach as well. Um, I just feel like this is the sort of test that we'll, we'll get to reevaluate where the Socceroos are regardless of the winning form to this point. Yeah, I mean, the quality and calibre of opposition is not something Graham Arnold can control. He's beaten all the teams in front of him, so uh, you can't really criticise the results whatsoever. Uh, One of the interesting features about this iteration of the national team is two of our best players uh, are foreign-born, two UK boys, and uh, a Scottish man by the name of Martin Boyle bagging the goals. So, I mean, for once, Australia is using Ancestry.com to our advantage instead of getting players pinched from us, Clint. Yeah, he's uh, Arnie's certainly done his research since being in charge. A couple of years ago, we don't even know quite a few of these players. Boyle, Suta, Karacic, Hrustic, mm. um, just to name a few. But it's, I don't know what it, how do you read that? I guess the more traditional route for Australian soccer players through our National League and, and being recognised here in Australia is it's become more difficult to find that quality. Do we look at it in that way? So we've had to to reach out and find these players that have gone under the radar, players that we don't know that have gone on a different road overseas. Um, 
you know, you, you can look at it in a mul- you know, multiple of different ways. So regardless of how they've gotten there and, and Arnie's gotten them to this point, it's it's still such a great run and they're, and they're in a great position. They're, they're just the two, two ends of the game, which I, I reflect on, the attacking end, they're a constant threat, which is fantastic. To any opposition that they face now, I feel like they're going to find moments in matches where they can actually score a lot of goals or score some goals to, to actually win the match. But importantly, defensively, and I think about the last 15 or so years, defensively we've really started to struggle a lot in our national teams, uh, particularly at our junior level, but also in the Socceroos. Mm. I think back to 2006, the golden generation, we always think about the quality in attack and phenomenal but we also had serious quality in, in defense as well the goalkeepers and the defending department was always rock solid and we'd always find ways to stay in matches regardless of how well we were doing at the attacking end and that's been lost in the last 15 years but all of a sudden we're getting a run of clean sheets they've only conceded i think one goal to this point um in recent times anyway so my mind's, you know, I was a keeper, so I'm always conditioned to go to the defensive end, which which people's just seeing is pretty boring. But I think it's the cornerstone to what happens in the long term with this Socceroos team. Great, they're scoring goals, but I'm still looking at that defensive end and thinking, can they keep this run going? Can they make me believe that come the bigger games like tonight and like a World Cup next year, that they can get the job done defensively? You mentioned defence. Harry Sutard, he's on the radar Premier League clubs right now. Um, how high of a ceiling do you think he has from what you've seen? Can he, can he cut it at the highest level? Well, firstly, he's probably taken the less traditional route for a defender to get into the team. Mm. It's his, it seems like it's as much his attacking threat at set pieces that's got him into the lineup. So um, there's still, for me, serious question marks around his ability to defend against quality opposition. Mm. He hasn't really faced a lot of that just yet in the soccer setup. So there's still question marks for me. Um, I look at his partner, Trent Sainsbury, and I've always been one that's tempered my, my thinking about Trent. I'm probably in the minority in, in the way I view Trent. I think he's a superb player on the ball, great attacking threat. But defensively, for me, he's, he gets caught out a lot, gets caught out of position a lot, and he is very casual in recovering his position. And I look back at a lot of goals conceded beyond the last two years at World Cups and such, and I can sort of point the finger at Trent and, and think he could have done better. So I'm still yet to be convinced by Trent at the top level. Um, yeah, so big question marks. But Harry's, I mean, he's fitted in beautifully, hasn't he? And regardless of where and how football changes along the way, one thing is constant, that's set pieces. So if he's in the team, he's always going to be a threat at set pieces. Mm. I mean, one thing that's actually annoyed me recently watching the team is that they've overcomplicated the set piece routines when you've got a guy who's like six foot seven at the back stick. Yeah. I'm just, just float the ball good up point. to him. He's going to win the first header. <laughs> yeah, good point, good point. But uh, he's spot on. He, he's not... The thing is, like, yeah, you can overcomplicate these things with a guy like that in the team. But don't forget, we're coming up against really quality opposition. Sure. And regardless of the height differential, you've got wily players, wily defenders that can out-muscle him and, and put him off. So I don't mind the variation. It's, it, that, to me, means they're putting work into set pieces. And I, I've seen 
and been a part of a lot of teams along the journey that forget about the set pieces. It's always the day before the game where we're going to do a couple of set pieces and then we expect it to be okay on the day. So I look at that as if Arnie's thinking about it and working on it at the tr- in the training pack. Mm. Well, Arnie said he wants to freshen things up a bit. If you were looking at making some changes tonight, just to sort of, you know, adjust the plane against Japan, what, what sort of change would you be looking to make in terms of, you know, the overall starting 11? I'd stick with Taggart up front. I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in Adam. Mm. He's got huge potential at the top level, so I'd stick with Adam regardless of his goal scoring form. Aaron Moy, back into the team. I want to see Aaron back in there, uh, probably at the expense of Tommy Rogic. And possibly Karacic again uh, down that right side. Um, Ryan's been playing well, but Karacic is is a good player and I'd love to see him in there. That's the interesting conundrum with Moy and Rogic. The debate continues to rage as to whether they can operate in the same team. And it seems as if, I mean, luxury player is a bit of a loaded term, but you need somebody with an immense uh, work rate to cover the ground that those two don't defensively. So in a game like this, potentially it's it's one or the other. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I can't add much to that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a case of the better quality opposition is going to test you out a lot more defensively in the midfield. So you know, both of them aren't, you know, when you think about those players, you think about them with the ball. Well, before we let you go, Bootsa, I want to ask you about goalkeeping. <laughs> And Matty Ryan, he's uh, been a stalwart for the national team despite shifts and changes at club level in terms of whether he's playing and his injury status mm. and so forth. I've seen some Socceroos fans arguing that the in-form Australian goalkeeper at the moment, ironically playing his club football in Japan and setting clean sheets records, is actually retired from national team duty because he wasn't being selected. Mitch Langerak. I mean, yeah. where do you stand on that? Is Matt Ryan just too important a leader in that team and is he undroppable? Or, or should Graham Arnold have considered Mitch Langerak for the number one uh, spot earlier before he made that choice? Yeah, Mitch should have gotten, Mitch should have gotten a lot more game time. No doubt about it. I, 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 I think Mitch is a, technically a better keeper. And I think Matt Ryan's ability probably with his feet has probably got him over the line more, more often than not. But Mitch, his, his uh, goal-stopping ability, second to none. Um, second to none. And, you, and he's, we're seeing that now in Japan. So he's a massive loss. You know, I reflect on him retiring and publicly, you know, he said it's – well, he didn't say it as much, but you assume it's because of game time. But I wonder just if it's uh, a, uh, a situation or a result of the environment we now live in mm. and – you know, because of the COVID situation, he just found it. Well, maybe it's a, you know, it's compounding issues, you know, not getting enough game time, current COVID situation, being in Japan, young family, just want, you know, really settled and doesn't want to travel. So I just wonder if that was the reason he, he walked away. Regardless, a top line keeper has walked away from our national team and we can only be the poorer for it. Is international retirement a bit of a relief in some ways for a player when they can just narrow their focus on the club football and not think about it anymore? Absolutely. Absolutely. And think of Mitch's situation. He finds himself on the bench most of the time. You know, as a keeper, the chances of you coming on at a game is bugger all. So, you know what I mean? So if, if, if Matt Ryan seems to be the incumbent and you get the feeling that that's not going to change then you weigh these things up. And, 
and he wouldn't be the first to retire from international football. And I can totally get why, uh, particularly now over the last couple of years, what's going on. But yeah, I, I think that's why you, as a as a manager, as a coach of that national team, you have to manage these situations a lot better. Um, so maybe that's just one little cross against Arnie along the way. He's got many ticks, many ticks, but there's you know it's just a couple of little crosses there, and maybe that's one of them. You have to wonder if that will continue. I mean, we're seeing how so many A-League players, they can't go at the moment. Leckie, McLaren, you know, that you have to wonder if maybe that would accentuate beyond just goalkeepers. Like players just right now making decisions, it's just not right because of the quarantine situation. Yeah, yeah, spot on, spot on. It's, mm. it's a tough situation for players to be in. Travel is just a lot tougher. You're quarantining, so that's extra days away from family. A lot of these guys have young families, uh, newborns, young kids. Mate, if, like I, I don't have kids of my own, but I babysit a couple of little boys and just being away from them for a week, you know, I'm just like, I'm gutted. And they're not even my kids. So I can only imagine if they were my kids. So all these things would have to weigh on the modern player in these modern situations because, mate, the world is, is clearly a lot different place than when I used to play. And I can't imagine putting myself in this situation and having to make decisions like this, it'd be that tough. All right, final one before we let you go. Match uh, prediction for tonight. We'll give our predictions as well. Do you want us to go, go first? first? All right. Yeah, you go first. I'm going to say a one-all draw. I think Tan away is, is, a tough, is a tough fixture for anybody, but a draw could be enough to see Moriasu get the sack anyway. So, you know, I think a draw is honestly a good result in my books, regardless of Japan's form. Away from home, they're a tough team to play against. Nick? Yeah, I, I have to... He's frozen up on us. There we go. go down to one this one. Uh, sorry. Yeah, uh, one, one all as well, Josh. I'll just keep it short. Same sort of thing. I just don't think it's going to be an easy beat at all. All right, we've sat what on the fence. Go on, yeah, go. what do they say about great minds? <laughs> that's three of us because that's that's the result I had in mind. It's got draw written all over it, doesn't it? Mm. It does, doesn't it? Well, uh, sometimes these big games underwhelm. Hopefully, it's not the case. Hopefully, we're wrong and we get an absolute barn burner tonight. Uh, but, Clint, regardless, it's been a pleasure uh, speaking to you and getting your thoughts ahead of a big fixture. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, guys. Thank you, guys. Cheers. We'll take a short break. On the other side, we're going to discuss the potential referees strike that just broke before we started the show. The uh, referees union is not making their uh, officials available for the FFA Cup tie. So we're going to talk about that on the other side of this break. Final time this evening on Twilight Football, FNR Football Nation Radio. If you missed any of our chats with Dan Orlowitz or Clint Bolton, they will be available as podcasts straight after the show, but you better get in quick because uh, that stuff doesn't have a long shelf life, unfortunately, unless you want to rewind time and uh, you know discuss how, uh, how wrong we were in our Twitter mentions. Josh Parrish and Nick DeBino with you. We've got a breaking bit of news that we want to discuss, but before that, Nick... I'm going to get you to put your money where your mouth is, and we'll go through position by position and pick our starting 11s, starting in goal. Surely, there is only oh. one answer. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, yeah. Easy one. Easy. Left yeah. back. Uh, I'd be going with Aziz. Sticking mm-hmm. with Aziz, I don't think Calamalda. Well, it's only really Calamalda's the only other real choice. Um, but yeah, Aziz Beige for me, 100%. 
Centre-backs, is it the same uh, tried and uh, not trusted by Clint Bolton combination <laughs> of Trent Sainsbury and Harry Sainsbury? I was about, I was about to say, if you Clint Bolton, he'd probably say Bailey Wright or Ryan McGowan, but I'm going uh, Sainsbury and Sutar. If Milos Degenek was there, maybe mm. Joe Degenek and Sutar, because I really rate Milos Degenek, but I think that's the undisputed duo at the back right now. I mean, Bailey Wright is your defender's defender, though. I reckon Butzer would oh, probably yeah. pick him. I'd impress him on it, but I reckon he likes Bailey Wright. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll have to ask him next time. Well, uh, I mean, place League One, place for Sunderland. Easy defender, defender. <laughs> right back. This is an interesting one. Oh, mate, you know my answer. Frank Karasic. Hey, we're on the same page again, Nick. God, we've got to stop sharing so many football opinions. Serie B. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think Frank Karasic. I think I just cut out for a second, yep. Josh, but... Um, Definitely Karasic at right back. Um, did you ask about midfield yet? No, no, no. Just give, give me your no, Karasic, no. Uh, Karasic rationale because uh, you cut out there. Oh, well, for those 10 minutes, how good was he? Like, it just if you if you hadn't seen him play before that, that 10 minutes kind of summed it up. He offers a lot more going forward. Um, you know, his crossing is brilliant. Like, the cross he put into Mitch Drew twice, he scored, and then the opposite one he missed as well. And... Um, but even, you know, just in terms of his form before that, like you remember the, the last, I think it was the June qualifiers when he got back into the team, he scored. He was really good during that. I think he's Australia's best right back. No disrespect to what Ryan Grant's done, but Frank Karasic is, a, is at the moment a much better player and I think he should play tonight. Central midfield. Let's pick the two holders first because we know we're oh. playing 4 2 3 one. That ain't changing. Can you remind me of who started last game? So I've just had a blank. Irvine and uh, Hrustic. Irvine and... Uh, so, Hrustic, Hrustic starts for me. Um, I'd be dropping Jackson Irvine, Josh. Um, I'd be going... I, I'd be pushing Hrustic higher up. Um, I know if Joey Lynch is listening to this, he'd love this. But I think it's time to unleash Danny Genro. Match him power for power. Go Genro sitting at the base and then push, you know, um, Tom Rogic and Aiden Hrustic further up playing as attacking mid. Take it to him. Take it to him. Get Denny Genro in there. I think that what he's done so far at Toulouse, he's been brilliant, and I think he fits that mould perfectly to sit at the base and just let him create. Interesting. Interesting. I mm. am not going to agree with you there. I, I think okay. we probably... I mean, we should probably go with the combination that started the last game. I, th- I think Rogic, Rustic, Irvine, it ain't perfect, but it's certainly better than whenever we've made changes to that three. I, I've, I, I have to say I disagree with Clint Bolton, what he said before about Moy. I just don't think Moy's look up to it. I think people mm. are hanging on to Moy's like, past achievements and reputation and not looking at his current performances, which haven't been that great. I'm not saying he's past it. He's just had mm. a period out of the game, a rough period in his personal life, of course. Um, and I, I just don't think he's quite ready to be a starter for a national yeah. team once again. And then the rogic Moy conundrum, we've never found a midfielder who can kind of pick up uh, their baggage, essentially. And, I mean, maybe as uh, T. Pato is suggesting in the Twitch stream, go for Kenny Dougal alongside a Moy rogic combo because he does get through a lot of work. That guy covers every blade of grass on the field. Yeah, he's, he's a real enforcer, Kenny Dougal. Um, he is, but... I think- I just feel like it's too big a risk in this this kind not, of fixture. So I'm, I'm going same, same. I'm going Irvine, Rustic, Rogic. I think the one thing I would take into account, Josh, is I think he's going to rotate because he did say yesterday he has got some tired bodies and he wants some fresh legs. So I would be surprised if there's one midfield change. Maybe not like wholesale. 
And he keeps honing on the fact that he reckons Aaron Moy can still be up to it based off adrenaline alone, not necessarily match for the second he steps. He's the words, not word for word, but indirect, mm. were essentially the second he steps on the blade of grass, he'll be fine. Um, it, it would all just come back to him. So I don't know. I, I don't think Moy and Rogic will work together, but I think we'll both see them play tonight. Don't know if they'll be on at the same time, though. Yeah, it could, it could be uh, Jimmy Jago coming in as well because he did come off the Definitely. bench in the last match. And he is another water carrier type number six who would do the simple things and close down players and cover ground and do the, you know, the boring little yeah. jobs in the midfield defensively. Yeah, that's that's the head scratcher for me in that area of the team. Uh, I'm not sure if there's rotations. Will it just be a straight swap, Moy Rogic and put Hrustic in the number 10 spot? That's that's that makes sense to me. Um, mm. it, to to swap Moy and Rogic, considering those two players aren't famed for their endurance and short turnarounds and so forth. And I think Celtic fans talking about you know Kyogu starting, I think they'll be tearing their hair out if Rogic plays <laughs> uh, significant minutes uh, twice in a week. Yeah, he plays boys. Did he play ninety from memory against Oman? Or he... uh, I think he came off. He came off on the hour yeah, mark, 63 yeah. minutes. So Okay. So, I mean, he still hasn't played like full 90. It might, still be a, it might be a bit of a tactical decision from Arnie as well, thinking ahead in terms of playing against Japan. So maybe he will start. We'll, we'll just curious to see what happens. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the head scratcher because I feel like that's the first choice selection that played against Oman. So if there's going to be rotations, that means you're not playing your first choice against Japan, yeah. which is a bit strange to me. I, maybe it isn't Graham Arnold's first choice in his mind, but it looked like the number one, you know, the number one picks uh, in mine. Anyway, uh, going to the forward line, I would argue that Martin Boyle on his hot streak is undroppable and has to start. Yeah, Martin Boyle starts. Martin Boyle and Owen Mobile out wide, and I think you stick with Adam Taggart. I think as much as Mitch Duke is scoring, um, Adam Taggart's work off the ball and in terms of his facilitation work is unmatched. I know that there's this um, this love among a section of soccer Twitter that suggests that Mitch Duke, because he scores and because he's a hard worker, that he should be starting. But I think that Taggart's still done a pretty good job. I think he's a bit underappreciated for what he does. Um, and in this sort of game, Josh, I'm saying it, we've got to see Daniel Arzani. If the game is on the line and we've got to get a goal, I want to see half an hour of Daniel Arzani going at Yuto Nagatomo. I don't think Nagatomo's got it in him anymore to go up against that, especially late in the game. 35-year-old Nagatomo's gone through a lot of running in his life. I don't think you'll want to be seeing Daniel Arzani in the last half hour. I like it, and I think super sub Arzani is always something I can get behind. Yeah. If Awan Mabil hadn't played quite so well in the game against Oman, I would be calling for Economides to start ahead of him. But mm. he did mm. play very well. And yeah. you know, he was looking confident. His touch was good. You can always tell Mabil is uh, on on a good run when his first touch just glues to his foot because when his confidence starts to dip or things don't go right for him in game, the, the ball ends up traveling further and further from his foot on the first touch. And you can kind of judge uh, where he is at performance-wise mm-hmm. just by that one aspect, I think. And he was looking really confident against Oman. So I would stick with Mabil, especially with his ability to hurt teams in transition. Uh, and up front, Adam Taggart, I agree. I mean, and Boots has said it, you know, he's just got such potential as an all-around centre forward who can do 
all of the pressing, defensive things. He can play with his back to goal, bring others into play, make well-timed runs off the shoulder. And his role mm. in creating uh, that counter-attack where uh, I don't think Australia actually scored, but it was a beautiful counter-attack where he rolled one defender off his back and and uh, set us away in the, in the Oman game. I, yeah, I mean, he, that's, that shows his multifaceted, you know, skill set. Uh, Nick, before we go, this bit of news that took us by surprise on the eve of the episode is that the Professional Football Referees Association, that is the Referees Union, uh, has advised Football Australia that PFRA members will not be available to officiate FFA Cup matches and A-League trial games. The PFA does not take this... PFRA, I should say, does not take this decision lightly and comes on the back of more than three months of discussion and efforts to resolve several topics. The topics are that the A-League's leadership and coaching department did not have their contracts renewed as the league separated from Football Australia in July 2021. Uh, so that means they've had, in their words, no direction, no coaching mm. instruction, and no fitness coaching, despite being just weeks out from the start of a new season. Then the A-League panels, or A-League's panels, I should say, uh, were announced. That means the referees that are available for selection. They're sort of the, the selection pool, I suppose. And they were announced members were unfairly removed from their position without any due process or warning. There was no performance management or even an indication that any members may have been in danger of losing their position. And then finally, the A-League's referees are without a contract for the coming season, Mm. which is the bombshell Mm. to drop on number three. Mm. And uh, Yeah, I mean, I I suspect this is going to be resolved quick smart because you can't have a season without referees, even if not all of them are members of the union. No, because how many referees wouldn't be in the union, Josh? That's what we've got to be asking now. Like, if they don't resolve this, is Adam Badsky going to be doing double duty? Like, that's a, if he's not in the union or whatever else. Like, that's, by the way, I'm not saying that he is or he isn't. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, are we going to get FV, you know, accredited MPL referees who we haven't seen at A-League level just get thrusted into this? But I think it will. Um, there's still, what, four or five weeks till the season starts. Um the FFA Cup games in at least this part of the seaboard aren't going to be on till November. So hopefully at least with the upcoming FFA Cup games that are in Queensland, South Australia, they organise that quick smart and get that sorted mm-hmm. because you don't want to have two games without referees. So it'll be intriguing to see how they sort this one out, but they've got time. Um, it's just something you think that you'd have out by now. Like it's October, you know, you'd think that you'd have the contract signed by now. It's so late. The season's been done for four months, for God's sake. Look, I can't imagine a group of union members uh, more scrupulous and more uh, disapproving of a scab in their midst than the referees. So <laughs> I can't imagine it would go down too well if there is a couple of, of refs who decide to slink across the picket line and, and pick up games anyway. Maybe they'll have to mm. do the old trick of having a dad ref the first half and then the dad from the other team ref the second, you know. It's <laughs> a volunteer linesman with a bib just waving it. You yeah. call the other teams offsides because you're never going to call your own. You know, it's a principle of right. grassroots yeah. football, which is a sad yeah. indictment that we're ever put in that position in grassroots football. But that's an entirely separate issue that we should probably do a whole show about. It's still character building games as a player, Josh. You had to play <laughs> against the dad. The referee was a dad for the other team. It's literally playing against twelve, and it was 
you know, no calls, offsides, a lot. And usually as well, the, if the if the linesman couldn't keep up with the back four, that in itself was its own problem because <laughs> usually they just get caught napping. It's the worst, always the worst when you were substituted with the rolling subs and then you go to run to the bench and they say, no, no, you got to switch with your teammate who's on lino duty. Just the absolute mm. worst when you just want to go to the bench for a drink and you have to put a bib on and get the flag and keep running when you think you've earned a rest. But look, uh, we're taking this lightly, but it is a pretty serious situation. I can only imagine that this is a negotiating tactic and it will all be sorted shortly. If not, we are in for uh, basically the A-League's version of the purge, which (laughs) could be interesting. (laughs) No, literally, literally. It's going to be interesting viewing. Very, very interesting viewing. All right, Nick, I'll let you go because I'll be seeing you again in a couple of hours. We've got our watch-along planned for the Japan versus Australia game. Ante Yukich, Joey Lynch, and Nick Stoll will be joining us as well as all of our friends in the FNR stable. So make sure you tune in for that, your second screen experience during the game. Always fun to get lots of live interaction and... uh, some live reaction as well to the events unfolding on the pitch. A big game for the Socceroos tonight, so make sure you tune in to... Uh, it's on channel uh, 10 Bold, I want to say. 10 Bold? Mm. Yes, it I haven't mixed bold. that up with a secondary channel from another competitive network. Yeah, there we go. Second channel, it's also on uh, 10 Play. It's not 1HD. Yeah. No, not 1HD anymore. You don't get the uh, the Bundesliga on Saturday mornings, unfortunately. Uh, but Nick Devano, it's been a pleasure as usual. I'll chat to you very soon, and we will also be seeing the viewers very, very soon for the watch-along.